Good morning. Merry Christmas. Um, yes, as Richard said, there are two Bible readings this morning. The second you'd expect to hear on Christmas morning. The first one, not so much. Uh, and it's not listed, so if you don't have a Bible, just listen along um, and you can hear about Jesus' family and where it came from. So we're in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And I'll pick it up from verse 18 through to verse 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. 
Uh, well, thanks very much. Um, as uh, Richard said, my name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors at Trinity City, and it's my privilege to be opening God's Word with you this morning. Uh, my guess is that most of us have heard the Christmas story a million times before. You know how it goes. There's angels, shepherds, baby in a manger, nativity scene, blah, blah, blah. Um, so this morning what I thought is I thought I'd do something a little bit different. Um, the way in which Matthew tells the account of Jesus' birth, as you've just heard read, uh, he does it from the perspective of Jesus' stepfather, uh, through Joseph's eyes, you might say. Uh, and so I thought I'd do this talk this morning from Joseph's perspective, as if I were Joseph, telling you what I had seen and what I've been witnessing. Uh, you'll need to use your imagination. Obviously, I'm not a first century Jewish man, so, you know, I, I get that. Uh, but I hope that in doing so, it'll help us to recognise a bit of the decision that Joseph had to make but more importantly, the decision that's before each one of us. Okay, so here goes. Shalom. Shalom. Uh, my name is Joseph Ben Jacob. Uh, I'm not sure what your year has been like, but mine's been pretty eventful, to say the least. Uh, and today I thought I'd tell you about what the year for me has been like. Uh, it's fair to say, of course, we live in interesting times, don't we? Uh, our new ruler, uh, the person who rules over our country, I guess the best way you'd describe him is that he is a grossly narcissistic, paranoid delusionist uh, who loves to bully people into submission and ridicules everyone who has a different point of view. Uh, his name, bet you can't trump this, uh, his name is Herod. Uh, and earlier this year, Caesar Augustus caused global migration chaos when he ordered that every person throughout the empire had to go back to where they belong. They had to go back to their country of birth. All of that, of course, should have been bearable, though, because my carpentry business, oh, it's gone pretty well this year. Uh, and, but particularly this year, I got engaged to the wonderful Mary that should have been fantastic because at last it would have got my mother off my back who's been hassling for years to settle down with a nice Jewish girl and give her grandchildren. I must say that uh, even though the thought of parenting terrifies me because uh, I can remember what I was like as a kid, nevertheless, the thought of having a son whom I could teach the carpentry business the way in which my dad taught me, that sounds pretty cool. Until suddenly, a few months ago, with wedding preparations in full swing, uh, Mary says, uh, Joseph, honey, sit down, we need to talk. And I could see from the look in her eyes that this was not going to be good. I thought, oh no, more wedding guests. But she said instead, calmly, as if it was the most normal thing in the world, uh, she said, I'm pregnant. Now, I won't repeat what I said at that point. Because I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed to say that, quite frankly, I lost it a bit. Uh, the gist of it was that she said she's pregnant, but I know that I'm not the father. Because we'd agreed to save ourselves until we got married. But here's where things got really insane. Uh, because when I asked in what was, to my mind, a very reasonable tone of voice, uh, when I asked who the father was, you know what she said? She said she didn't know. 
Whilst I'm struggling to get control of my emotions, she adds, I don't know because I'm still a virgin. Now, you probably don't know a lot about me. Let me tell you a bit about my background. I'm a pretty simple bloke, right? Uh, My parents taught me to work hard, keep your head down, avoid the Romans, stay out of trouble, life will be good. I'm no fancy pants scholar like those rabbis or Pharisees or teachers of the law. But even I know that if your pregnant fiancé claims that she's a virgin, well, I'm not a fool. Obviously, she's lying about something. Either she's lying about being pregnant, although why on earth you'd do that beats me, or my nice, sweet Jewish girl, she's been with so many blokes, she can't remember which one's the father. What would you have done? Well, before you answer, let me tell you what I did next. I figured I'd quietly call off the engagement. You know, not make too big a fuss, not humiliate her in public. If I'm being brutally honest, uh, that's partly out of self-protection. I mean, Mary's pregnancy hardly portrays me in the best of light. Being cuckolded by another bloke is not the kind of thing that you put on Facebook. And to give credit where credit's due... Uh, Mary, at least, well, she chose to tell me now, before we were actually married, uh, rather than trying to cover it up until after the wedding, at which point, my guess is, it would have been a lot harder for me to walk away. And deep down, I know that trashing her reputation, it's not going to restore mine. So, more than being angry, I actually felt pretty sorry for her. Because... Her life is pretty much ruined. In our society, obviously the dad's not around. One day, I'll be able to move on. I'll be able to put it all behind me. I'll be able to start all over again. But this will be with her for the rest of her life. And at the end of the day, I know that actually I'm a sinner just like Mary, just like all of us. The only difference is that my sin's well, they're not nearly as public as hers. They don't have the same devastating consequences, at least in the here and now. And so because uh, in my family, I was always taught two things as a kid. Firstly, do unto others as you would have them do to yourself. And secondly, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. Because I know that one day I'm going to need grace and forgiveness... I figured that perhaps I could extend some to her now. What would you have done? I decided to call it off quietly, but uh, here's where things got even weirder, if that were possible. Uh, did I mention, by the way, that I was a little bit stressed at this point? Um, you know, I wasn't eating particularly well. Uh, I certainly wasn't sleeping well. Until one night, I had a dream... Uh, that was so real and so vivid that I can still remember it today. In fact, I don't know about you, most dreams I forget the morning after, but this one, I think I'll remember this dream for the rest of my life. Because in my dream, an angel appears and tells me, stop worrying. I don't know if you've ever seen an angel 
Uh, I know that lots of people talk about wanting an encounter with the supernatural, uh, but having seen an angel, so speaking from experience, let me warn you, be careful what you wish for. Because uh, this angel who I met, it wasn't some cute, cuddly figure wrapped up in a white sheet with a smiling, happy face and dopey blue eyes. This angel, it was awesome. It was radiant in brilliance. It was terrifying, actually. It was as if pure energy was just being, just coming forth from it. It was as if it was about to explode. And so when the angel says to me, stop worrying, that's all good and well in theory, but not much use in practice. And so before I could even begin to process this, uh, what, what he said next, although, actually think about it, I don't even know that it was a he. I don't know what you call an angel. Let's call it an it. What it said next, in a rather matter-of-fact matter of tone of voice, was Mary's baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary's baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Oh, good. Oh, fantastic. That makes perfect sense. Let's get married. What are we worried about? No, I didn't say that. You see, like every good Jew, I know what the, what the scriptures tell us. The scriptures tell us that God's spirit is the one who gives life. He was there right at the very beginning. He was the one who breathed life into Adam and Eve. But, and I know this might sound a bit crass to you fine, upstanding people as I look at you this morning. I've never heard of the spirit running around and impregnating virgins. The mechanics are, well, actually, you don't want to think about the mechanics, really, do you? Uh, Before I could point this out to the angel, uh, what it says is that I'm to call the baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And before I get a chance to say anything about that, well, I woke up. And when I say I woke up, I don't just mean, you know, I just quietly came awake, had a bit of a stretch. No, I sat up in bed like I'd been electrocuted. (gasps) What was all that about? So what would you have done? Well, let me tell you what I didn't do. I didn't go back to sleep. (laughs) I lay awake in bed for hours. I tossed and turned, my mind racing, my heart pounding, desperately trying to make sense of it all. Until suddenly, just before dawn, I had a flashback. I had a flashback to all those years where I'd been dragged to synagogue and being dumped in Sabbath school classes. You know those times where you have to do endless craft, sing really daggy songs. And as I have this flashback, these words came to me. Uh, They're on the screen behind me from Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Now, in hindsight, my guess is that our teachers kept banging on about Isaiah 7 because it made such incredible promises of hope that we Jews have been waiting for 700 years for them to be fulfilled. Of course, back at the time, back in Sabbath school classes, uh, well, let's just say that we teenage boys didn't quite see it that way. We took great delight in hassling our leaders, tormenting them with questions like, "Uh, excuse me, miss, how exactly does a virgin conceive? 
Um, you know, the kinds of questions that teenage boys like, they rank up there with questions like, uh, you know, if God is so powerful, can he make a rock too heavy to pick up? Uh, and how many angels fit on the head of a pin? Which, having seen one, I'm never going to ask that question again. But as I found myself pondering Isaiah 7 for the first time as an adult, not just as a child, it occurred to me that if, and I say if, but if this is what was happening to my fiancé, if her baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, it meant that her child could be both human and a son of God which is why our baby would be called Emmanuel or God with us. You see, whatever the mechanics of the child's conception, the baby would be God with us. Not just near us, not just around us, actually one of us and so like us in every way except sin because he is God also. And if he is one of us, then here's the good news. He could actually be for us because he gets us and he understands us and he's experienced life in this crazy, crazy world that one day is full of promise and delight and the next utterly overwhelming. And then I remembered another passage from Isaiah. Praise God for those Sabbath school teachers, huh? Uh, They bribed us for years with lollies, with memory verses. It worked. From Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, at this point, I think finally I understood what was going on. Mary's baby, Jesus, wouldn't just have extraordinary beginnings, born of a virgin... He was destined for greatness, untold splendor. Check out those names for him there. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his kingdom and his rule, we're told, it will have no end. It will be forever. And the guarantee that this baby, born in such incredible circumstances, would go on to this amazing life, the proof that it will take place is that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. Which means whether or not I want it to happen, whether or not I believe it will happen, whether or not I'm ready for it to happen, it's going to take place. God will accomplish this. And I can't help but think that if that's the case, it'd be a whole lot better to be on board with this God who is doing all this rather than ignore him or worse, stand in his way.
So what would you have done? Well, I kept you waiting long enough. Uh, Let me tell you what I did. Uh, You probably worked it out by now. I did everything that that angel told me to do. I went ahead and married Mary, and she gave birth to a son. And we named him Jesus. Which means that as I look back at the year gone by, in fact, I've managed to accomplish two pretty important things. The first is, by marrying Mary, her baby, Jesus, he gains royal lineage. He gains royal lineage. Have a look at the slide. Uh, In my dream, the angel addressed me as Joseph, son of David. Not Joseph, son of Jacob. Uh, Jacob's my father. But I haven't mentioned this yet. Actually, way back in our family history, I have royal blood. It's a long way back, to be fair, and my family history is pretty sordid. And I'm just a carpenter. But I'm descended from King David. Which means, although I have very few worldly possessions now I can give to this son, what I can give him is my name. Remember how Isaiah said that the virgin's child will reign on David's throne? By taking Mary as my wife, her son, my stepson, he is adopted into the great house of King David. Her baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and so is God's son, is Emmanuel, God with us. But her baby now also is a great, great, great grandson of David, which means he's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ. Here's the second thing that I managed to accomplish this year then. Uh, by, anou- by naming our son Jesus, we are telling the whole world what we think he is going to do. And now all of us know, of course, that parents wield enormous power when it comes to choosing their children's names. Uh, school playgrounds are hard enough without a really dodgy name. These days, of course, everyone is either going for the standard keep the olds happy ultra-traditional Jewish names like Levi uh, or Solomon, or else they're going to the opposite with really weird, out-there, modern names like Forge or Apple. I was actually quite partial to the name Jeffrey. <laughs> but by naming our son Jesus... We're choosing a name with great significance. You see, every Jew knows that Jesus is just the Greek version of the Hebrew word Joshua. Joshua, which means God's salvation. Because, of course, it was Joshua who first led us into the promised land 2,000 years ago. It was Joshua who, at the end of our rescue from slavery in Egypt, he was the one who delivered us from our enemies. And some pretty fierce enemies at that. But this new Joshua, this baby Jesus, he'll save us, not from our hated Roman overlords. He'll save us from something far more serious. Something far more personal. 
something that affects the whole world. He will save us from our sins. And he'll reconcile us to God himself. Because the whole reason this baby has been born is for our salvation. He has come to finally bring joy to our world. Uh, All of which should have actually sounded pretty good. Until the other day when, finally, for the first time in months, I got round to having my quiet time. Now, since the baby's been born, it's just been an endless cycle of feeding, nappy changes and sleepless nights. Uh, But finally, I got some time to sit down and uh, I found myself in Isaiah. It's my favourite scroll in the Bible now. No surprises about that. And I got to chapter 53. And I read this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's funny, you know. Our little baby boy Jesus is, and I have this, I'm not biased in any way, but he is the cutest, most handsome and perfect child who has ever been born. There's a picture on the screen just to prove it. Uh, (laughs) Wow, I feel like I've aged years in the last couple of months. Thanks, Kez. So far, it's actually gone pretty well, you know. Mary's been welcomed into her mother's group. But Isaiah 53 says that our precious son, he was born to die. Because to save us from our sins, he has to take those sins upon himself. He has to bear the punishment that was due to us. Because our God is pure and perfect. And he wants his world to be pure and perfect. And at the moment, you and I, we're the contagion. We're the contaminants. We are the ones who are ruining everything. And I've got to tell you, that really breaks my heart. Because as a parent, you long for your kids to have a better life than you did. You long for them to be better than you were. And saving us from our sins, well, that sounds like a pretty awesome life goal and narrative. That's something that you'd probably boast about at family reunions, wouldn't you? But does it have to be this way? Does it have to be through his death? It's wonderful that our son, this Davidic king, will have a glorious reign but it will come through crucifixion. His coronation, in fact, it will be at his death. And so some days I find myself praying, Lord, isn't there another way? You see, even though I've seen some amazing things in this year gone by, I keep praying, Lord, I believe you, but help me overcome my unbelief. Because living by faith even though it's wonderful, is never straightforward. 
It's not easy praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what would you have done? Well, my dilemma about my pregnant virgin fiancé is not your dilemma. In fact, I've told you what I did. But this Jesus, he grow, if he grows up to do what God says he'll do, and not one of God's promises has ever failed, if he grows up to do what God says he'll do, then even more important than asking what would you have done is to ask, what are you going to do? Because I've made my decision but yours is still before you. I don't think you can afford to ignore this Jesus. You can't pretend that he's irrelevant. You can't say, I'm too busy at the moment, I'll just put that off for later. Because if God has done this much, if he has come into our world, if he was born of a virgin, if Jesus lives up even to a fraction of what was prophesied about him, you must consider him carefully. Or to put it slightly differently, given what he has done for us, what he has gone through to save us from our sins, why wouldn't you want to find out about him? Why wouldn't you want to live for him? Why wouldn't you follow him and even heed that invitation to come Let us adore him. He is Christ the Lord.